0: we're just a frequency on the dial and we we still know that and we're moving to these other frequencies and these other states of being and of course in order to become a member of society and be one that's here you've got to be locked in that frequency Frequency, 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 balancing harmonious type of energy somewhere in the 1800s based on all the stories of the, that we have existing, and again, I don't trust anything in my history. But I, I, I take history as hinting at things. So it's hinting in the 1800s at comets, at earthquakes, at huge upheavals. We've got city fires all over the world, where it seems every city burns down. We've got we've got weird things where it seems like the population is is decimated. We've got wars that can't be really explained. So much wow. has been lost. So much has just gone. That whatever they have is just a tiny little piece that has survived. Even though that's great and incredible, it just gives a, a glimpse of what it must have. Whoever, what it must have been like a thousand years ago when they had all of that knowledge complete and usable. It's uh, it's pretty amazing stuff. Energy is just it, it's fused with intent. Uh, you know they saw. 20 elephants on the street and of course everyone's telling there are no elephants and you know what are you talking about dude and they didn't have the capacity to understand their experience when they came back there was no one there to help them there was no one there to to, to share what happened and so literally their mind fragmented and, and broke their mind couldn't handle mind fragmented and, and broke. Their mind couldn't handle. Fragmented and broke. And
1: you are about to listen to a Rising from the Ashes interview with Howdy Mikowski. Mystic mud floods, Egyptian wisdom revealed, and much more. Diving into the consciousness in ancient Americas.
2: Hello, Fire Tribe. Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Dan Unaki Dan.
1: And I am the Homie Romy. Hello.
2: Hello. We are joined by Howdy Mikowski. How you doing, Howie? Howdy.
0: Oh, you say it's been a busy day, but I'm okay. Uh, You guys are early in the morning. I'm late in the day, but we'll (laughs) see what we've done.
1: Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. You're a, you're a Canadian uh, that uh, transferred his life over to Norway. Is that correct? Right.
0: That is correct.
1: (laughs) Whereabouts in Canada are you from?
0: Uh, Pretty much. You could say grew up in Ottawa. And then moved to Calgary when I was about 25 or 26. So I had a bit of East and West uh, through my life. Yeah. But it's two really different parts of my life. The East part of my life, that's when I was sort of normal guy, just being uh, a uh, hockey player and university student and et cetera. And then the other part of my life is the stuff we'll be talking about today and being a stand-up comedian. And so they're literally... The move west was like a at a moment where my life was, and one life was ending and another was starting. So it was also quite symbolic.
1: Wow! Do you? Uh, I had no idea you do stand up comedy. That's amazing. Is that yeah. on your? I haven't seen that on your website at all. Is that? Do you have a different website for that? A different place for? No, I, I, I've
0: been retired from that for ten years. Oh wow! Years.
1: <laughs> well, maybe can you can you give us a because I the few um, shows I've heard you on, I've never heard you talk about like a like a, a history from, you know, your youth to where you are now, do you mind giving us like a, 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 a fun history with that?
0: Is that what you'd like? I yeah, man, of
1: course. <laughs> we want to hear about you, the Howdy Mikowski that is.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, pretty much you could say I grew up in Ottawa. I grew up in some other places before that, but really, spent most of my life growing up in ottawa nation's capital of canada uh was mostly a hockey player and uh sort of a semi high school idiot um <laughs> you know I had i i was i had good grades but uh, i didn't i didn't take things very seriously um i always had sort of like a comedian in my blood you might say but it didn't come out for a while then i went to university um yeah, when I was 19. And that sort of sucked a lot of the creativity out of me. I was very creative up to the point that I went to university, I became a historian. And that really, well, I did learn some useful things there it did actually box in my creativity quite a bit. Uh, once I went there. Uh, before the last year of university, my father stole all my money from me. And so um, wow. that made finishing my university career very, very difficult and was the first part of sort of, you might say a spinning out of life is wonderful into a life is not necessarily the way it's always been told to us um i did manage to finish and get my degree just after that happened the girl i'd been dating uh was murdered and that yeah so that when 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 joan died that was quite a change in my entire mental state in my because it um it was really the first part of inner seeking. It was the first part of a real spiritual journey that started, which was the world tells you you're supposed to live a certain way, and she was living that way, and now she's dead. And I had to start asking, well, why am I living under these same supposed rules? And I began breaking them all, actually, and just and and. But I started spinning into a real depression because I didn't go. I just I didn't, like I didn't like get any help for it. I didn't get any therapy or you know I just dealt with it and and but at the same time I was questioning hard questioning inside but I I was not getting any assistance from the external world and I was spinning into a really deep depression and I got to the point in 1997 where I wanted to kill myself I just I, I couldn't feel like I could be in the world anymore and I just couldn't find a clean way of doing it you know um and then there was a television program came on on uh, ancient egyptian pyramid building and as soon as i saw the program it was like uh, it was like the the pieces of my internal being just that were fragmented came instantly together and i knew that's what i'm supposed to do ancient egypt has a has a secret and i have i have that's going to be my life and everything changed at that point i i'd become a comedian about 94 95 so i was still doing stand up comedy which was great because it gave me It gave me a lot of free time, you know, I only had to work a few weekends, I was doing mostly corporate comedy. So I worked a couple of weekends a month, and the rest of the time was free. So I had all that time to research, uh, not only ancient Egypt, but then I started digging into uh, alchemy and hermeticism. And I was lucky enough to meet a a Korean Zen monk. So I spent a lot of time with, with him with several Native Indian medicine men on their reserves with some uh, qigong doctors from china and slowly began building up knowledge and information or at least what i thought was a lot of knowledge and information wrote the book on egypt after having been there in 2004 thinking i knew quite a bit about the world and reality ah and then yeah and then in 2005 that's when i fell in the canyon and had the death experience and kind of realized the the non-reality of reality and non-reality of the self
1: yeah might i interject here when you say Fall into the canyon and had the near-death experience what canyon and and what near-death experience because that's that's you glossed over that's that's a really big uh curiosity for me uh, near-death experiences and that type of like astral projective type of situation
0: uh well i've had i've had previous death experiences prior to that but in this case uh, shortening it for for the simplicity of the viewers uh if i slipped into a river Right near one of Canada's largest waterfalls, not knowing the waterfall was there originally, and the uh, the the speed of the water was it, it was intense. At first, I did manage to swim back from the shore. I mean, I began to realize very quickly what was three seconds ahead of me, and wow. I managed to swim back to the shore where a friend was. <clears throat> and just as I grabbed his hand, I, I pulled him in by accident as well. So we were both you now stuck in the in the, this in this river. Uh, I was being pushed you know uh, basically just as blown past and in the course of this being blown past in the microsecond I realized uh, this is where I'm going to die you know this is you can't get out of this and in fact we found out my friend and I obviously we both got out eventually but we found out year, uh, later on from some park rangers that uh, like no people have fallen in at the exact same place we've fallen in and they've they, they've all died um so so in that moment I, I, re- I realized I was going to die and it was fine. There was a a complete acceptance. I had no need to keep living. I had no need to stop it. I was just, it's like I was going to die and I'm going to get front and row seats to it. Mm. And once I had made that, once I had that acceptance, there was a, everything I could classify as me disappeared. So thought was gone. Experience was gone. um, Hopes were gone. Fears were gone. Memories were gone. Everything was had literally now just vanished And all that was left was uh, an observing consciousness, observing what was happening in the moment. And it was the realization that everything I'd always believed myself to be was false. It was fake. It's not real. Um, I'd gone through years of of work dealing with reality, breaking down reality prior to that to show that reality is not real, that reality is very transparent and very non-solid. But I was still very solid. This experience at that moment in the canyon showed me I'm not solid either. I'm, I'm another... I'm as transparent as anything in the world. Um, what started happening from there was, and think this is a microsecond, right? Like literally all in one second, these giant, <clears throat> I call them clusters of information, because it wasn't thought, it was these things would come up into my into my in my scene and they would like burst. And it would be whatever was in there was completely understood automatically and then the next one would come up and burst. At the same time I felt like I was getting a computer download is the best way I can describe it like someone stuck a a stick into my head, and was just downloading files into my brain. And I think, like, for example, uh, the the exposition book that you're going to want to talk to later, I think that was in the download that went into my brain. And a large portion of the 15 years since that happened has been, like, trying to go through my internal hard drive and figure out what was downloaded. So this was going on, these clusters of thought, this was coming up. I was moving, obviously, at a rapid speed in the water. By now, I was upright. I wasn't, I'd been swimming, but now I was literally upright and just being, being drilled by the water. It was, it was early May, so it's the runoff. It's, it's uh, the, the water's at its highest speed of, of the year. And I looked back and I saw my friend who had kind of managed to, to, to swim in place, so he wasn't getting pushed by the river. He was exactly where he was. And now a thought appeared, first thought that appeared in the experience, and that was, uh, if I don't get out, how is my friend going to get out? And at that moment, I hit an underwater boulder with my leg because I was upright like this. So my, my legs hit a, hit like a giant boulder, veered me a bit off course from where the water was heading to the waterfall, and I I could feel sort of ground and sand. So I realized I was close to an edge of, of you know, it was, it was a slope. And I started sort of crawling my way out of the river, uh, trying to scream to my friend that it's shallow, climb out, and I was going to go look for a tree branch. And I noticed he was climbing out at the exact same time I was um just to keep the story short until you see where you want to go with it then i we sat there for about an hour and we shared our experience in detail The same thing had happened to him he had also accepted being dead and uh, we had this we realized we we had died that the, the person we had thought we were died in that experience and there was something completely new here and the last 15 years has been making a lot of mistakes in um in dealing with what happened and what was shown Um, It's been very, very difficult, very challenging, very confusing, because I didn't spend enough time in the year or two after that just integrating it. Uh, So I went through these difficult experiences, got married here, as I say, moved to Norway. Um, My book on that experience, Falling for Truth, was written uh, anywhere between 2007 and 2013, but it took a few years to get published. Then in 2019, I was studying cathedrals in Florence. I was looking for uh, how they are uh, built as energy centers. And when I got back from that, I bumped into the World's Fair, the Chicago World's Fair specifically, and realized somebody has to write about this and spent eight months working on the fairs. And here we are.
1: Okay. So I have to say, first of all, beautiful experience. And that's, I guess, why you said fell into the canyon and had the death experiences because you wrote an entire book on it Mm -hmm. and for that was completely Mm -hmm. out of my realm of understanding for that i do apologize i want to get my hands on um the exposition's book because it's it is fascinating and to have that information on hand to give to people because we're now experiencing this like crazy surge of information on the internet of, like, Tartaria, mud flood, and all this stuff, and a lot of it is being disregarded as, you know, as, like, as bullshit, right? Because it's, it's just the way it's being presented, like, to people in the mainstream, they just, they have a hard time grasping it, because once you, how... I mean, you've been lied to your whole life. You've been sped spoonfuls of sugar, and now you're getting spoonfuls of reality, which may taste a little bitter, not so sweet. And uh, unless you're us, the 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 bitterness is like what I thrive off of. I thrive off of true truth and reality. And um, <clears throat> the the cathedrals is fascinating, brother. I have written um I've written uh Folcanelli's work, Mystery of the Cathedrals. Um and I've been looking into Mm -hmm. that specifically. Do you have a book on the cathedrals? Or did were you working on that and then you transferred into the exposition book?
0: Yeah, no, what happened was is yeah, I was starting to really re-redouble my efforts into um cathedrals as energy centers. I'd been at Chartres the year before just outside Paris, and so had, and I mean, living in Europe, you, you get to, you do get to visit many different cathedrals. I've been to Rome, been to Florence before, been into Berlin, and you know, lots of, but Chartres was different. When I was in Chartres, it was energetically almost like being in ancient Egypt, it, when I was back in in, in some of the, the, the pyramids and things in Egypt, so but Chartres showed me that there was another level to this, and I, I think that's why I wanted to look into it in more detail so <clears throat> I was just there I, and I, I did I think get a pretty good understanding of how the cathedrals actually work energetically so I was coming back and I was just looking up some things other things on on, on YouTube videos that oh who else is talking now about the cathedrals and then somewhere in that that's when I bumped into the Chicago exposition um, which blew my mind I'm a historian right like I'm actually I have a degree in history I took uh, late 19th century U.S. history. So the exact period of these fairs we're talking about, it was never mentioned in any of my history, my university classes. So when I bumped into this thing, I was, was stunned, first of all, how do I not know about this? And then once I found the story, right, where you're dealing with whether it's Chicago or St. Louis or San Francisco or Buffalo or Nashville, you are talking like 700, 800 acres of buildings are supposedly built in record time of two years, with no modern building equipment no you know and then as soon as this thing is over it's basically dynamited blown up and thrown in the garbage that it's all i mean that was the initial impact that got me into it that a, how could you build something so beautiful so fast? And then more importantly, why would you blow it up and destroy it when you're done? And why would you do this over and over and over again? It was only after beginning the research, right, that, as you know, I got into all the layers of what was going on at these expositions and what was being presented and what these things might have been for. And and to me, I'll, I'll shut up here and let you go on, but there's, they were important to me then because they, I, I, there was something so so bizarre about them that needed to be explored that no one at that point had explored in depth but a word i was using in the book which was 2019 was the word reset i was using that book to discuss that these fairs seemed to be related to some way a giant population uh destruction in the 1800s and these fairs were like the coming out of whatever the new world was at that time the world we've known our whole lives and then all of a sudden a year later we get the insanity we've been living under. And I realize now studying the fairs is more important than ever before because we're in whatever happened to the people before the fairs is happening to us right now.
1: So one one connection I made when I was I was re-listening to some of your, you know, stuff to study up on and get freshened up for this sweet chat that we're getting into. Um your Veritas episode with uh, Project Veritas, that guy, he's got this, you know, beautiful deep voice and it's just really nice to listen to. Some people say Dan's got that also, that sweet, sweet, deep voice that uh, that just puts people in that goodness of a trance. But to touch on the Great Reset aspect that we are seeing, you know, we, we've heard the term Great Reset from, you know, high-up politicians and so on and so forth and, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum and everything, right? But the great fire or the great earthquake or the great, you know, the great happening, the great, it, it seems like this type of uh, word magic, this type of um, way that information is put to us, like this coding that is throughout history. Do you, do you notice these patterns? Is it cyclical? Because you look at, um, you know, these, you uh, um, you look at these events and I'm wondering if there is like a cyclical Mm. pattern to them or a repetition.
0: Well, almost for sure. I mean, I I think we're seeing a repetition right now of what's happening in Eastern Europe. You can almost see the repetition from September, 1939. So many things are exactly, and you have to know your history really, really well to see the, 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 how parallel it is. So I, I, I mean, I get the sense this is a simulation. I get the sense this is some sort, this is not a real world. This is like a a very high design computer generated reality. And so one of the things, if you're going to have a computer generated reality, you can't have a billion possibilities. You just, you can't program that many in your system. You're going to program a finite number of things that can happen in the dream and with people themselves. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that they will, if you're seeing repeating things over and over again, that's another That's another clue that you're in a simulation, because if we weren't, if we were truly in some sort of completely free uh, environment, you wouldn't see as much repeating. You wouldn't see people through history looking the same as somebody today. You wouldn't. um, Somebody told me this one. uh, I was on a show or something, and they said, if you want to know if you're in a simulation, you have to look at it this way. Uh, the programmer will put the most amount of time into the present and into the future, where the simulation is going. They will put the least amount of time into the past. So, if you look into the past of your world and there's lots of holes, there's lots of things that aren't understood, there's too many things that don't make any sense, that's highly likely you're in a simulation because that means the programmer didn't have time to put it in. So, partially the study of of history and showing the lies of it, or at least the non truth of the narrative is really when you if you be honest about it, is just telling you well we don't know if we have a real past or not we don't know if we're like the robots of westworld that <laughs> one day we were turned on with a backstory and all of the rest of it is just is just is just that it's a backstory we don't know what day one really is and so as you begin to dig through the material i go through all of these other secondary questions if you're serious about this stuff Will join with it, and so it becomes a much bigger exploration than this like you say, the standard people. They look just at the history. They're looking just at the buildings. They're talking about, oh, there was an ancient civilization here. There was a mud flood. There was okay, but so what? Like so what? You know, that's good. That's great. But what's where does that take you? What's the next step? And as you can see, if you really want to go with this, it can really take you to a lot of deep areas.
1: So that yeah, it's super super fascinating and it's disheartening too because, you know, looking into history and and having something tangible to hold on to is you know, it's it gives you gives you like joy, like you want to be able to have this meaningful purpose. I don't think I kind of, you know, simulation theory at one point I thought was like kind of like a cop out, right? It's just like, oh, everything's a simulation. But then I pop back into it and I see patterns and I see cyclical things and kind of like what you described. And so, you know, it's this ebb and flow of understanding um, that it's it's just mind blowing. And uh, you know, you talk a lot about um, you know the Plato Plato's allegory of the cave, um, and you compared it to this other uh, kind of experience that you had. I can't remember where, but you were talking about these curtains painted on a wall, and and then you compared that to this this Plato's allegory of the cave. Can you tell us that story because that's that's pretty fascinating too, and that that connection that you made there.
0: Um. Well, of course, the allegory of the cave is very, very important. Um, there's a few things that, of, of the of the Plato's cave allegory for the people who've actually read it and, and know about it. There, there's a first problem right at the beginning. It states that there are prisoners in a cave who are chained to their seats and can only stare forward and stare at the cave walls, right where they, where this false reality will be played for them. But never is it asked or explained who are the prisoners? Where do they come from? What are they prisoners from? Why are they prisoners? Why are they chained to their seats? That's literally just, it's like the first, the, the, that should be the, the absolute key part to this entire, to the entire Plato's cave story is, well, wait a minute, what prisoners and, and why are they a prisoner? And it's never talked, it's never gone into, never talked to. So you've got that first issue. Then people, yeah, most people begin to focus on the actual illusion of reality itself. the, 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 the playing of the shadows on the cave wall or uh, I've come to see it as veil, like the veil of ISIS. If you look at it in ancient, in ancient Egyptian terms, which would be like the curtains of a theater. So the real reality, there, there's a, there's two sets of curtains in a theater, right? There's the first curtain that hides the stage from the audience. And then when the show starts, the curtains open and you see the, you see the show, but most people forget there's often, a, there's a second set of curtains at the back of the, of the, of the stage. And, the source. Of what's going on on the stage is just a play. It's not real. But tech, what's technically what's behind the real curtains, which is the grips running around, the sound guys doing this. I mean, that's the real, that's real, the real story part. of what's going yeah. on. That's <laughs> hidden. Yeah. So for me, curtains. I and I see curtains a lot in ancient re- Renaissance artwork. There's always these, often these curtains blocking parts of, of the painting or whatever, which is representative of false reality. So finally getting to your question, um, is uh, my first trip, I went to the Sistine Chapel in Rome. And uh, when I was there, most people are staring either at the ceiling uh, of Michelangelo's paintings, which, which, yes, are spectacular, or the main one, he, he also did the painting on the backs of the far, far wall, which is also incredibly symbolic and is a lot there. But on the sides of, of the Sistine Chapel are also fabulous paintings, including Botticelli and, and a number of other Renaissance artists did the walls. But there was one section of each side of the wall that got my attention, and those were curtains. Like, not real curtains, they were painted on the wall. Now, if you're going to paint something on a wall, I mean, I've got Botticelli right beside the curtains. Why wouldn't you have Botticelli paint another masterpiece? Why do you want to put curtains on the wall? Like, why do you want to paint curtains? on the walls of Sistine Chapel. And so that, that drew my attention right away. So the whole, you know, you're, unfortunately I'm, there with like, you know, a thousand people and they're all staring at the ceiling and I'm staring at the curtains because to me,
1: that's <laughs> the, the one guy looking the at the curtains. Yeah, on the wall.
0: Like that's it. That that's, that's actually the secret of the entire Sistine Chapel is the curtains. And I get the sense that if you, if I had time there alone, um, like I've had an experiences in other temples in Egypt or Mexico or around the world and could just literally stare at those curtains for seven, eight, 10 hours straight. My feeling is if you could vibrate your frequency begin to vibrate your frequency high enough, those those painted curtains will move they'll open and there will be my feeling is there is actually something just like happened to me in that Egyptian temple you you might have heard that experience where I had the where I saw the holographic image on the other side of the relief I think there's something like that in the in in the in the Sistine Chapel and that is the whole secret of the whole room and everything that's been done there is on the other side of those curtains and at least to date no one has explained Mm -hmm. has at least openly said that or said they know what's on the other side probably if you did actually open those curtains and found what's on the other side you would probably learn to keep your mouth shut about it
1: Mm -hmm. that's super fascinating and it kind of touches into i call the cathedrals and and other types of architecture resonance architecture that's my term for it i'd like to study that it's a heavy interest of mine and i was just in denver colorado Mm -hmm. yesterday looking at um so all the state capitals in in the US are dome dome top right they're 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 neo style neo architectural style um and then we have a bunch of I'll might I say copyrighted you know fake cathedrals here um but there's this essence to them that is paying a homage to if they are neo and they are they they because I will say, a lot of these cathedrals, like, even if there was old, um, you know, infrastructure here in America, a lot of these cathedrals, I think, are placed to kind of make it seem, give to, to, to kind of water down the magic that is architecture. So if you put up a bunch of these fake, you know, cathedrals everywhere, and then put, um, you know, the facade of the monotheism behind it, um, then it waters down the true magic of what behind, is behind the curtain and what what it takes when you truly attune your resonance to the resonance of these magnetic or um, anomalistic types of architectural structures. And I wanted to ask – I have a, a little a little uh, question here.
0: Um, yeah, just before you get there, just before yeah. you ask your question, I just have – because you were saying being in Denver. So I just looked up the state capitol building because the state capitol is in Denver, and that, that state capitol building is – Beyond spectacular. I mean, that is that is a perfect explanation of of, a, of an unexplainable building. Yes, uh, there's no way you could explain how that's built. What's the date they gave for this being built? Uh, eight. um, yeah. eighteen. Yeah, uh, 80 Constructed in the 1890s from Colorado white granite and opened for use in November 1894. Uh. Anybody who's here just google that Colorado State Capitol look at the building and it just just that one try to explain that in 1894 never mind trying to explain the whole the <laughs> Chicago or the St. Louis exposition or just that how does that building get built in Colorado in 1894 and let me it, it, it's spectacular
1: let masons. me say this too is like oh absolutely may like the, <laughs> there there's something with the masons and this the simulation of America that is just mind blowing uh but um, they, the story behind all of these Capitol buildings is they were all built within that same period, like the, the 1880s, uh, and they were done by 1910, you know, at the latest.
0: And these—well, you get a lot in the mid—you get a lot in the Midwest that are, are like uh, they were done like like uh, 1810, 1820. So you get a lot of those ones, really? like, even Iowa, Oklahoma. Some of those were done really early with the gold, Capitol. Um, yeah. Yeah, with the domes and everything. I mean, I don't have the dates of all of them off the top of my head, but some of them were were quite early compared to when you think they would even be building this stuff at all. So that even makes it more bizarre because like there's nobody but cowboys in this area who's building this stuff.
1: Oh, that's the other thing too man is like you walk around denver and you start to see ca- it's just cowboy statues cowboy statues they have horses they're holding their saddles and it's just like okay but then i'm looking at all of these they have a Chartre they have a chart- chartre style cathedral too that i took some pictures of posted on our telegram that is totally a homage to chartre but the other cathedrals there are not they are like They're just not, you know, they have one rose window, maybe. And, but they they have, so they have one Chartres style cathedral, and that's a few blocks away from the capital. The capital is one mile high. It is the mile high marker of the mile high city. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. you look straight down and there's a monolith. There's, you know, there's the, the, the spire structure. That's
0: the spire. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Monument and, and all that. And then you're looking at, The civic center which is another massive structure and they're completely in line and so it leads me to believe that there's there there was purpose to these cities kind of like the world fair there was purpose to this the world fair and how they built them and why they built them and there was like this this ultimatum purpose that functioned this this building did this, created this type of energy and and sends it to this obelisk, sends it over here. That's just the intuitive feeling I'm getting when you start to look at the layouts of these cities. What's your take on that? Like, do you think they're maybe these world fairs were maybe said they were built, but maybe they were there before and then they destroyed them. They held they held a party, they wrote about the party, and then they destroyed them or do, do you think they were actually built in the time that they said they were built?
0: I'll answer that for a second. I just thought, I didn't know if Dan had wanted to jump in. And did you have something, Dan? Yeah, I was did actually going to,
2: gonna, I was going to actually ask that question is if you thought that they were built when they said they were, or if they were remnants from a previous civilization.
0: Yeah. Ah, so um, the question or the answer, at least for me here, and this was the drive. a lot of the driving part of the beginning of my research, right? Once, once i have gone to the building contractors and kind of realized from them that if you were going to try to build something like the Chicago Exposition today, it was going to take 15 to 20 years with a workforce of 50 to 100,000 guys and modern machines. So once the realization came that that couldn't be built in two years, uh, like they say, it's just actually impossible. And that's not according to me. that's according to a guy who builds large buildings his entire life, right um, and i don't I don't doubt that in some way buildings things were built. You do have construction photos where uh, the the standard story of why these things could be built so fast is because they were building with a material known as staff, which is a type of plaster put on top of a wooden frame, similar to a um, similar to a uh, movie set. The difference is with a movie set; that's in the background. It just sits there, and the action is in front. It's like a theater backdrop. You're talking about things like the Buffalo Electric Tower, that's 325 feet high, has the elevators running to the top, has 100,000 light bulbs on the top of it. You can't build that out of plaster and wood and expect the people in the elevators to collapse. I mean, these are obviously, obviously, certain of these are are, are clearly qu- quality built, real structures. So it le- it led me to. to two or three basic possibilities. Possibility one is these things really were built in two years, but they must have had a technology that they were not supposed to have, whether it's a 3D printing type technology, whether it's, there was something. There was something they must have had available that was used to build them, um, and that was partially why they needed to destroy them, because they needed to hide for whatever reason going forward, because a lot of what the fairs were doing were presenting the 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 idea going forward that uh, technology was going to be, or the technology, the way it was going to be presented, it was going to be the thing that was going to make life easier, and you're going to have to pay for it. So there's no such thing as free technology, free energy, free. These fairs were making it clear that there, there, there's you're going to have to pay for everything you get going forward. So. That's one possibility. The second possibility is that, yes, the big buildings that were already were already there, part of an ancient civilization that was the one I wrote about a lot more in the book exposing the expositions. I think because it's the most romantic it's the most mm-hmm. as a as a guy who studies ancient civilizations it's the one I guess I most hope is true uh there's no proof that that one is is more true than the other one, but it, it feels better, uh, and there's certainly lots of indications as you dig into history and and very strange whatever little bits of history that are remaining that that you that that certainly might highly also be true that that makes it much different if you're just digging out buildings that have been covered over with dirt or mud or whatever and then just fixing them up and painting them you can you can you can then potentially build a lot of the big buildings uh, within a couple of years so we're possibly you could possibly say that was part of that was an ancient city uh, that was sort of you might say redug out cleaned Mm. up and presented as, as a new building project to a group of people who seemingly are like literally first day on planet earth. When you look at the pictures of the people who are attending these fairs in the 1800s, they literally, they're out of place. They have no, it's like, they have no idea where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you've got this kind of new population and particularly young children, orphan trains, they're Mm going to believe whatever you tell them. And so that's, that, that is a possibility. The third possibility I've got, which i've only picked up in the last year after the book was done is um if if the world's more like a simulation if the simulation started then then literally they they, these these world fairs could have just been in a sense programmed in for some reason as the starting energetic point as an energy as an energy building point to take us where we've gone. So those are now my three Dan and Roman that I've kind of come across as likely what's going on. The, the the standard narrative is I've broken that down, I think, pretty easily, even though a lot of people are still trying to attack me on these theories and um, whether, you know, like John Levy and, and and Michelle Gibson and a whole lot of others have been talking about this as well for years. But um, the the attacks we get are pretty strong when we mention this stuff. Um People don't like their history being uh, questioned. It, it, it's very it's very dangerous for a lot of people's identity.
2: Yeah yeah um, I actually been to the the Parthenon in Tennessee, and that thing is not made of stone in the slightest. It's I don't I'm guessing it's probably the staff because it's kind of like spongy looking concrete or whatnot. And uh that, and you could tell where the the like seams are and everything, and it just looks. When you look at it, it looks amazing, but when you get up close and feel it and and really look at it, it looks fake as shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember the the statue. You sent you sent me a photo of the statue, and it it, it was like oh, terrible. Statue. But but the thing is though, Dan, I'll say on that statue was
2: built way later though by somebody else. Yeah, it looked yes, terrible. Yes. The statue, the inside, was... yeah
1: statue was terrible it was like yeah. did a child make this like the eyes were like different sizes or something but it's like if <laughs> they bur- they burnt or destroyed most of these right so yeah. maybe if they left the why would they destroy the really epic ones like looking at the chicago exposition yeah i mean it, i think everyone that's listening here has seen photos of it it's absolutely immaculate and it's in chicago it's it's mind-blowing yeah. And uh, but and were, they- but what
0: one one building always survives. One building, yeah, yes, one building always flies. survives, and it's always and it is mar it's marble or granite. I mean, it is as solid as it could be. It's going to be here a hundred years from now, and uh, and they tried to tell us that's the only one. There was just one building we made for real. The others were all fake. That's um, so the study of those one buildings that are left tell us a lot of what the other ones must have been like.
1: Yeah. I, and it's like, they, do they give a reason to pay this homage to our, you know, our ancestors, like they were building these Greek style buildings or these, these neo Renaissance buildings? What is it, is there any reasonings that they give to why they were built paying the homage to that architectural style? What is the reason to imitate that? Is it because it holds a resonance?
0: Uh, well, I mean, on on one, of course, the, the sto- There's the story, right? The story is that there was this yes, re- Greek Roman revival in the late 1800s, and yes, the new the new rising nation of the United States after the or before and after the Civil War want to show themselves as the new the new Greece or Rome of the world. This is the presentation, and all of these new architects are. Following this style, but of course, when you look at the architects every every of these major architects who are building at this time their their story is as crazy as the buildings because most of them have no architecture background whatsoever um, like Olmstead i' uh, uh, not Olmsted uh, root and uh, Burnham so Burnham, who is the main builder of the Chicago Exposition, for example, pretty much has no no architecture experience whatsoever. He he took drafting or something in school. He failed out of a whole lot of courses, bumped into this other guy on the street route, and they decided to start their own business. This is the story. And then like three weeks later, the head of the Chicago uh, stockyards, like the richest guy in Chicago decides to hire them to build his private mansion. And in the course of that, he marries this guy's daughter. So, How does, yeah, how do you go from no architectural experience at all, zero, to having the guy who owns the union stockyards? Like, you know, like Bill Gates all of a sudden picks you and says, you're going to be the guy that's building my brand new mansion. And, oh, by the way, you can marry my daughter at the same time. And it doesn't matter where you look. Who built the St. Louis Fair? Who built the San Francisco Fair? Who built the Buffalo Fair? It's the same kind of crazy stories that are pretty much (laughs) obvious misdirection so what we're seeing is an overlay a, a narrative that's been that's been built up over time to try to explain that buildings that obviously were not built in the late 1800s to try to give an example that people will kind of say oh okay yeah I guess that makes sense and go on with their day and not really dig into it as opposed to the reason I would still say if I had to pick one of the examples the reason they're they look Greek or Roman is because they are at the same time period as the buildings in Greece or Rome it's all one civilization worldwide and yes those buildings like any ancient structure, are built to harmonic and geometric and mathematical principles. They're built to harness energy, to contain energy, to move energy. And in fact, to in almost all cases, I've been really lucky to have been in hundreds now of ancient structures all over the world. And in almost all cases, they balance and harmonize the body when you're in them they actually even even the statues in the if you know what to do with the statues in the museum the original statues will balance and harmonize you so mm. we potentially had a worldwide system of balancing harmonizing calming clear healing energy all over the world like i said for sure if, if you were sick and you were near Chartres Cathedral. I would just say, forget the hospital. Just go to Chartres Cathedral and stay, spend a couple of days in there. I wouldn't doubt, especially when it was functioning. It's not functioning at its at its proper rate now. But when it when it would have been functioning at its proper rate in the 16, 15, 1400s, whatever, I think that's all you would have had to do. Just go there, sit mm-hmm. down, shut up, and the building will harmonize and balance you, and off you go. And that world is something that's been lost. I mean, never mind the world of before that, right? The the world of Egyptian and Mayan pyramids, and that's like energy on a on a level even two to, to ten steps up. You know, we've lost. Never mind, we've lost that. World. We then lost the world of the cathedrals and the Greek temples and whatever. We've lost and star force we've lost all of that that was harmonizing our reality and now we're in our world of square ugly crappy boxes wi-fi 5g uh you know all the junk that is basically our reality i'm surprised any of us as humans are able to think or function or do anything beyond <laughs> being zombie robots uh over the last 50 years because literally our world is designed to make you sick
1: yeah and you know it's the def- Food and what we put in our body is also just a huge part on that. Like, you know, when you attack your cells with, you know, all of this garbage, you're not even able to uh, allow your consciousness to resonate with the earth consciousness to at least see between the lines. And so there's this um, this concept of like stacked realities, right? That there we have all of the realities here and now um, existing Mm -hmm. at the same time and you know i i think that's what downloads can be like your experience falling into the river and, and having all of this information happen you know is almost like this like it's a surge or a break in the simulation and some of you know you fractured it and um some of these stacked realities were able to come into your consciousness do you like can you give us some more and maybe do you sound like you've had like quite the um and it's unfortunate that you have to have these like traumatic experiences to, to elevate your consciousness and bring you to where you're at. But then again, is it so bad? I mean, do you think it's bad? Like, how is your life now? Do you think they're stacked realities? What's your opinion on that? And maybe a couple more experiences because we love those stories
0: around here, brother. Um, You know, when, when you're having a happy dream, you don't want to wake up. When you're having a nightmare, that's when you want to wake up. So tragedy and trauma is part of the waking up process that anyone who has gone to any deep introspection or anyone who has gone to questioning anything will not do it from having a happy life there has to be there has to be difficulty trauma challenge problems that is the only thing that will get people really seeking um something within that they can find and hold on to is true so um, and, and certainly people have had far worse trauma than, than me. I mean, I mean, my life, yeah, my life's been hard, but I know several people who, you know, my life would, would have been easy compared to what they've had to go through. Um, but so trauma, you might say is there as part of the, almost like the, built into the system to, uh, to give you an opportunity to want to get out of the nightmare. That's, that's step one. Um, as a second part of your question, yeah, I, I sort of see it as as though like the way you described it, I see it like uh, multiple uh, multiple radio channels all going on at the same time. And we've just become used to tuning our dial to AM twelve hundred all the time. But that doesn't mean AM eleven hundred, AM ten hundred are not running as well. We just we've learned um mostly through our parents and then through schooling. That it's as soon as you start seeing things that are not the way everyone else sees them, that's bad. Um, so you have to keep your dial, you know, tuned really tightly. Um, I, I watched, I've seen a couple of kids be, be programmed um, in a sense that, you know, the parents were just being parents. They were they were doing, but uh, this was one child, she's about two, maybe just at the point she's speaking now, but not fully. And she was always referring to herself in the third person, you know, it was like Sally wants a drink. It's not I want to drink. Sally wants to drink. Sally wants to go outside. So she was she she was she was speaking in such a way that um, Sally and her were two completely different things. And of course, the parents would constantly correct her. No, no, you're Sally. You say I want to drink. No, Sally wants a drink. No, no, you're Sally. <laughs> and I could realize we all must have went through this battle where at some point in time, you know, we were we're tuning our dial to all these other frequencies, and we know. That Sally or Roman or Dan or Howdy, we're just. we're just a frequency on the dial. And we, we still know that and we're moving to these other frequencies and these other states of being. And of course, in order to become a member of society and be one that's here, you've got to be locked in that frequency. And at some point in time, we all give up and some ladies later than others, but we all eventually lock into AM 1200 and here we are. But that doesn't mean that you can start moving to these other frequencies. The, the, the The fastest way, but the most dangerous than the way people begin to start experiencing often other frequencies is is through drugs or other forms of substances that alter the chemical state of the mind and while those do those do actually open other other channels of, of the of the radio you might say the problem is is you're not in control of the experience the, the that they're, they're, they're the ones that are guiding you and so there's they give you something but they demand something in return and that's the dangerous part that people don't seem to understand that is is what does what does that demand from you back for the experience that it's giving and so uh that's why i was lucky enough to learn how to do this what you might call channel movement without any of that to, to go to other radio stations, just from, just from, and I don't, I hate the word meditation because I don't like the word and I don't like what it, how people think it actually means. It means nothing like that, but various forms of whether it be walking, gazing, uh, all sorts of experiences that were designed to alter, give you a chance to shift reality. And uh, the nice thing about doing that is then and you might say, I'm mostly in control. Um, now, so you want a story, I can tell you one though, where I was not in control. And that was a uh, later late in about 2001 2002. So i had been doing reality testing for a couple of years. So i had been doing things I had read in my own things that the native medicine people were giving me things the Zen monk had been giving me I was doing, I was probably doing 14 hours a day of practice. Is this so in Canada, I was sleep for about yeah, this was in Canada. I, I okay. but I, I literally that's that was my day. I had like, I had like you know an hour of tigong, an hour of walking, an hour of gazing, an hour of this, an hour. I mean, literally, my day doing was, the
1: work, man. And, that's a lot of work.
0: Yeah, yeah I was pretty hardcore actually. Um, I, I recap I recapitulated my whole life. It took me four years um, to go through every single moment of my my experience. Um, so all this was going on at that time, and and so of course. As you're deepening this this work and you're seeing more and more and more there's if you go too, i was if you go too fast then you're you're going to get some mental breaks so one day i was with I was at a girlfriend's house and um, I noticed that her sister drove up and parked her car and was coming over to visit. She hadn't called she was just dropping by. I said, "Oh, your sister's coming over with me well she's just she's just parked she's she's you know she's coming over and she's like "Howdy? what are you looking at that's a wall and then there was a knock on the door. And it's like, for me, the wall literally didn't exist. I was seeing directly outside with no wall. And we were watching television or something. So I kind of, was, I just wasn't paying attention, right? And I could just see her that she, and so we had this conversation for a while of how I could see her, but it was during this exact period of time that, Nothing was staying solid necessarily, so if I was going to go sit on a chair, I used to have to hold the chair firmly with my hands to make sure it was still there when I sat down. <laughs> Everything in reality was coming in it like literally to that level, uh, nothing was necessarily holding on to the transparency prior to that, I was able to have control of it. I could just so I could stop it whenever I wanted and say, okay you know i don't I don't need to be seeing reality's layers right now. I just want to be me and normal but i went through this small phase of uh, i was losing control and thankfully uh, the, i mentioned this to the zen monk he was in hawaii at the time and it was he didn't speak english but it was translated back from someone who spoke korean he basically just said oh he thinks you're going crazy and he thinks it's quite funny um go play golf for a few days and just kind of forget about it and and see what happens so I, I first took his words that he did acknowledge that I was breaking, that I was actually, you know, my mind was, was breaking, but he didn't think it was a problem because he thought it was funny. Oh, yeah, so it's funny. And then he just, so I went and golfed for a couple of days, and then it all just stopped. Um, but all of that that I saw, all of what I saw from the non-reality of reality, of what reality, how it was not solid at all had a huge impact on it obviously that'll have that'll impact the rest of your life when you start to realize that nothing in this reality is solid it's transparent changeable not even there um that starts to make you wonder what the hell have i been doing my whole life and of course we're trained um not just in school to achieve and get things and have success but then when you go into the spiritual community the spiritual community wants you to control the world wants you to manifest your desires wants you to learn how to control your mind so you can you can have the the world you want and the things you want in one sense it's transparent it's it, it of course you can but once you start seeing but it's not actually real it's not actually there. what difference does it make if you manifest something really great or not who cares you, it, it's like you're 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 adding another prop in the show on the stage, yeah, okay, it might make this the show a bit interesting for the audience, but really. There's no, it has no impact on you and success or failure or anything else. It's literally just, you're just, you're just making prop changes in the show. Mm-hmm. And as I began to understand a lot of this stuff, yeah, a lot of the, the need to succeed began to begin to slowly filter out or the, the need to to, to even uh, do anything. It's like begins to to seep out of you because once you realize it doesn't matter whether you succeed or not, it's, it's, you're succeeding in a fake reality, right? Not that you shouldn't try to do things. There's a reason you have to do things in this reality. But as soon as you try to attach importance on what you do or what happens, you're trapped. It's got you. As soon as you're just acting in the world the way your character in this movie is sort of supposed to be, things begin to lighten up. They begin to get much easier. Yeah.
2: That's good. Uh, To get back to the World Fair a little bit. Uh, and to play a little uh, devil's advocate. Do you think that maybe building these buildings in uh, such a way, or not even building them if they did or did not, but showing them to the other people, to the lemmings that are coming in to visit, do you think that is bringing them inspiration by having these big awe-inspiring buildings that it makes their creativity go, look at what I can do, maybe... That jump starts the simulation in a way to have all these people at the same time see this, these magnificent structures and then be like, oh, we should start creating grandiose things because now we can see that it can be done. Do you think that
0: could be well, true? I see what you're asking, and my answer would be no, because the, the fairs themselves – if anything the grandiose buildings that they're seeing is first putting people in like a hypnotic state you know mm-hmm. it's literally like almost putting them in 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 semi hypnosis because it's like you know they're seeing something they can't possibly fathom and then they mm-hmm. move a little bit off the main buildings into what's known as the midway and the midway has two really key elements to it one is the human zoos so the human zoos are are bringing primitive peoples from around the world to showcase that they're savages and they are nowhere nowhere to the level of the wonderful Victorian who was the ones building this fair. And in fact, at certain fairs, the Smithsonian had exhibits where they would exhibit skulls from around the world. And of course, all the primitive skulls would be very small and then there'd be one large Victorian skull and they would take out this measuring device and measure your skull and show you where you fit Uh on the scale of evolution. Were you still a primitive or were you actually? becoming a victorian so you've got this one element of this propagandized uh almost the theory of evolution is being is being presented Mm -hmm. um through the world's fairs and this this idea of of the the continuing greatness of that the past is the past is primitive savages, and only now are you brilliant. And so it's mm-hmm. literally programming. That's the second part of what's going on at these fairs are these massive historical exhibits. Like if you've gone through the, my my book, the the exhibits are huge and they at the St. Louis fair each of these exhibits have 5000 actors so there's like literally 5000 actors for ancient rome another 5000 actors for jerusalem for for the um for the train, a siberian train ride through russia for medieval france for for the bullfights in in uh spain for uh, uh the boer war for whatever and these things are being portrayed so they're you're not just like seeing them on a on a screen you're you're watching um what's supposed to be a re- real historical events like you're supposed to be in the coliseum watching the gladiators fight and then afterwards you go talk to the gladiators right you you have a beer with them at the at the cafe and and what kind of programming would that be mm-hmm. i mean that you you're being presented a history in such a way that certainly at that time no television no movies no radio no nothing this would have been as well like an overwhelming experience mm-hmm. and it's the smithsonian putting this on they're the kings of history they they must be right it must be true and you feel like you've you've been tricked like you it's like the you you feel like no no i wasn't at the at the st louis exposition i was in ancient rome i i saw the gladiators fight at the Coliseum, you've actually had your mind tricked. So all of this is, I think, part of what the world fairs were doing at that time, up to 1915, when they began to change after the First World War. But this initial phase of these, what are called technological expositions, were a lot of brainwashing. It was designed to get the millions of people, because that's the best way to brainwash a world population, is kind of have the same exhibit traveling all over the world teaching particularly it's teaching the teachers all the teachers all the university professors guaranteed they're all going to these fairs and then they're going to go back and tell their Uh students and then the students will believe what the teacher says well they were at the world fair they must know Uh and i think they were they were creating the history we've come to believe for the rest of like, our life. The life that we've lived when we opened a, a Encyclopedia Britannica when we were young. That history was actually made at these world fairs, and the ideas of everything from government to commerce to uh, yeah, technology to science, everything was is is in some way bizarrely has its origin at these world fairs. So to me, Dan, I think that it was all a giant almost like a hypnotic event that was moving our world forward into this is what you're supposed to think, believe, and be from here on out. And see, so here's the scary thing. We're going through that now, just in a very different way, the way that everything is starting to be censored, controlled, that thoughts, certain thoughts are okay, certain thoughts are not okay, this is okay, and you're beginning, it's it, the same thing is happening, just in a slightly different format, a slightly different way, which mm-hmm. if, unfortunately, we could look 10 years in the future, you could say, oh, the reason we all think the way we think now is because of what was going on back in 2021, 22, 23. They, they managed to manipulate human minds in such a way that now there's only one one thought, one way of thinking that's allowed. So there's different technology to do that. When you look back to 1880, that I think was the technology to create, to create what we've known as our world since then
1: yeah i was uh thinking that's just about, my opinion
0: of course i could be wrong but that's my opinion
1: it's a great <laughs> opinion i actually really like it you've done a lot of work more than um i i can damn near i say 98 percent of the fucking people who have ever even thought about looking into this brother i mean like even even us like we've looked into you know the world's fairs but uh we've looked into like the like the type of facade that's there with the with the architecture and that whole anomaly, it's mysterious. But I I I was gonna ask you to maybe can you break it down because um, you just you just opened up a whole wormhole of of things that are happening at the World Fair. I didn't know what was happening, and I think about etymologically the word technology, and I think tech, I think tech tectonics. These tectonic plates that are in our earth, they shift and they move the landmass on the face of the earth. So I think about the word Mm. technology. And if it is like this form of moving something in the consciousness to to face and shape the landmass. Um, you know, of our understanding, you know, on like, not, not a physical sense, but on, on on that conscious sense. I think about technology fair, this world fair, this technology is like, I think about tectonic plates and the slow moving masses of um, indoctrination. I was hoping maybe you could give us um, a deeper look at the fairs, what was going on and where was this technology Um and and maybe what are these different facets of the fairs that were going on? Because I know they have they wrote detailed books, like super detailed books on it.
2: What
0: about blueprints?
2: Any blueprints?
0: Yeah, any blueprints? Uh, yeah, no. There's only there's none. (laughs) Pretty much zero for the blueprints, which you would think. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's amazing, the Chicago fairs, I'm just using as an example, but you can do this with anyone. Uh, my the the building contractor I went to, he said, when I asked him well, if you could build a Chicago exposition today, he said, okay. First, I got to take two years to plan it, because there's so much we've got to do. We've got landscaping, we've got lakes we've got to put in, we've got waterways to change. You're building on a swamp. We've got so give us two years. Hit the Chicago exposition for 1890. It took them less than two months. The supposed entire planning of everything was two months. Uh, and, and yeah and there's no record of any of the planning sessions anything that went on and in fact of the two main architects burn and burnham and root in one year one of them was dead convenience one was left one was dead maybe he was asking too many questions about what was going on um sorry so the, these fairs were so you've got like you say that the, every fair at the end of it had some famous historian of the time write what's known as the book of the fair and these books are yeah they're like 6000 7000 pages long and they're all for free on the internet and that's when my look at the fairs changed once i i bumped into a, a website it's called studylove.org for anybody interested they it, it place lists all of the available uh, things on each exposition on the internet, all of the books, all of the—they actually had travel guides. Would be like the same way you would get a Lonely Planet to go to like Rome or whatever. They had Rand McNally had a had a travel guide for every single world World Fair in in in, North, in, uh, in the United States.
1: Itinerary. Like, massive books again, and
0: everything like that. Yeah, like seven, eight hundred pages. So it was wow. from reading these books that I began to understand what actually was going on in the fair because the books actually will list. It's incredible; they will list every single exhibit in every single building. So at the at the Chicago Exposition, one of the medium-sized buildings was known as the Illinois Building. It looks like one of the state capitals. It's almost the same with a nice, beautiful dome and tower and whatever. Nice building. The, and the number of exhibits that were in that, so listing the paintings, the the jewelry, the, you know, the uh, historical exhibits, whatever, it was 28 pages long. That's one building, 28 pages long to list all of the stuff in the one building. So you're dealing with first in the large buildings, right, you're going to see newest technologies, newest, uh, they like to showcase uh, things like, uh, especially the car and the plane and and uh, and uh, and motors and electrical electricity was a big one there was a whole building just for electricity and there was all these battles going on between tesla and edison supposedly on who was going to win the electricity rights for all of these fairs tesla usually seemed to win all of them which made edison really upset and there was always these battles in the fairs edison tried to make exhibits in the in the electricity buildings that were so huge and overpowering that almost like like took over the exhibit so you've got that going and then you've got every country in the world was sending priceless pieces of art overseas to these fairs or the other way the united states or would send them to europe so you'd have buildings of like statues and paintings and not just like simple stuff i mean like priceless works of art are being shipped over textiles jewelry um so you've got you've got all of this being displayed, first off, uh crop armaments in Germany. They would set they sent an entire building prior to the First World War to every exposition showcasing all of their military equipment. Like literally all of it. Uh another bizarre one was 1907. There was a there was these things called World's Fairs, which are the big ones. And then there's these second ones that are would be known as like uh just fairs, let's call them. The one level down, but for our purpose, they're they're all the same thing. There was one in Jamestown in 1907, which, as you guys know, is one of the founding points of the United States. It's it's a key historical uh, area, and it's now it's now Hampton Ro- Hampton Roads. Is that the the naval base that's there? Anyway, at that time, there was no naval base. They were just building it but they brought what was known as the Great White Fleet to start their tour of the world at this World's Fair in 1907. Now, the Great White Fleet was 15 giant U.S. battleships that they sent on a a one-year circuit of of the world, supposedly on a peace mission to show the world the wonderful job that the United States is doing to secure world peace. And it was stopping at all of these ports all over the place. Now, first of all, why would sending 15 giant battleships to a foreign country indicate uh, a nice peaceful intention? secondly, often wherever these battleships seem to end up, the city seemed to get blown up and destroyed uh, like they, they were they were in San Francisco just after their supposed earthquake they were in somewhere in southern Italy and again the whole city was seemingly burned down or blown up or so again you have to start asking what is this great white fleet really about anyway? and also all of so that's there's another thing that's tied to the fairs then you've got these midway things so you on one sense you've got the 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 fun parts of the midway the the restaurants and the bars and the uh, exotic exhibits trying to bring cairo or or the streets of this or the streets of that to people then you've got the the uh sorry the human zoos then you've got the uh, the historical exhibits and then you've got the each for example, the United States, each state had its own building, each country had its own building each. So the, the massive amount of stuff, doctors had warned their patients that if uh, that if you were a bit ill, and you tried to walk through the whole fair, you might get a heart attack and die. Huh. That's, that's the kind of scale we are looking at. I wrote him in, in my, I, I recently updated my book, it's, a, it's an updated version now. And I, I I told people, if you really want to know what this is like, the Chicago Exposition is 700 acres, as an example. So 700 acres is 2.3 square kilometers. I can't remember what that is in miles, but anyway, two, three, 2.3 square kilometers. I said, just do that. Go outside your front door and walk 2.3 kilometers straight. Then turn left. Walk 2.3 kilometers. Then turn left. Walk 2.3 kilometers. Then walk 2.3 kilometers home. That's the, now you've got the scale of the size that was supposedly built in two years of the Chicago Exposition, and like St. Louis was bigger, Paris was bigger, and uh, again, it's so so it's it would it would have had to have been overwhelming. With with the amount of stuff that was going on there, and particularly if there's a nefarious way to it of what they're doing, given that all the buildings and the structures are generating an energy, so they're generating an an energetic current. And if and if you and like anything, any energy is just. Uh, it, it's fused with intent. So if your intent is you like that healing and balance, well, that energy is going to become healing and balancing. If you want that energy to become controlling and and uh, making people sick, well, you can do that too. So it's also who or what is being done with the energy that's being generated by the buildings, with all of this stuff going on around it. When you step back and see what the research showed me, it, it, it just takes the it takes the fairs to a level of unbelievable craziness God. It,
2: that like makes me think of like um amusement parks do you think there's anything nefarious going on with amusement parks how they are harnessing energy or generating energy from people maybe or or what's going what do you think about amusement parks
0: yeah i mean they come they come from this stuff amusement parks began yeah. to be built out of the world's fairs right. so they're they're like an offshoot of them and the early ones were often the early earliest one be they coney island or or the Mm -hmm. early fairs were always built with with some really nice buildings some very nice structures were a part of them it's only in our modern times they become very simple simplified super cheap if nothing else it's it's a it's a gathering of a really strange energy i'm sure you've all known what it's like to go to like the, the an amusement park and it's while it's supposed to be fun yeah it's always there's always this it's always a strange energy there there's always an odd there's just something odd about them and never mind the carnies and yeah the the games of course which are all designed to trick you and 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 there's just so i i don't doubt that there's there's just something that's not let's just say there's something not right about them um you know the other side of this that people bring up that we should mention of course when you talk about the fairs they try to compare it to today to like building the olympics so you know oh yeah it's like a it's like a big thing of showing off and then the city gets a bunch of money and they build all these giant structures and they have this thing and you show off and then everybody leaves but usually they keep the buildings you at yeah. least keep using them for something you at least that's where your athletes will now train or or the big that becomes the new soccer stadium or something. They don't just yeah. blow the whole thing up and put it in the garbage, which is what they... That's what I'd love to do. Like the St. Louis World's Fair, the day it ended, a demolition crews from Chicago came in and started blowing it up. And it's claimed it was placed in three <sighs> landfills. Now, I'd like to know where those three landfills are because I'd like to go get some shovels and start digging because if it's really plaster and wood... Then quite simply, it'll all be, it'll be there'll be nothing there. It'll just be soil. Now it'll it'll decompose. If it's what I think it is, and you're dealing with granite and marble, it's still going to be in that ground. So if anybody in St. Louis can figure out, for example, where John Levi he came up with a video three months ago in Philadelphia. He was looking where the Philadelphia Exposition was, and just down from where the Philadelphia Exposition was is a is a quarry, and that quarry is quarrying. Uh, marble and granite stone, and there's this huge marble and granite flooring, which is like their giant parking lot. And he, he started wondering, of course, marble and this giant, like, uh like uh, you know, stone quarry right next to where the where the World's Fair was, is that uh, was that the landfill dumping point? And over time, people, you know, somebody figured it out, and they decided, oh yeah, well we need new stone. We'll open a we'll open a, a quarry here and pretend like we're digging it out of the ground. We're just digging up the old World's Fair, cleaning up the blocks, shuffling through it. trash,
1: shuffling through yeah through trash. Let me ask you this because the human zoo thing really kind of uh, I I mean I'm a big you know I I try to to warn people about human trafficking. I, I've witnessed people go missing. Um, you know, that stuff, it really infuriates me. Like there's, there's definitely something strange going on with that. And I think it might tie into the, yeah. you know, the whole orphan train thing, great resets, you know, there might be a human farm somewhere where they're, um, <clears throat> or at this point, they're probably just, you know, regenerating, you know, bodies and, and, and eggs and, you know, growing them in labs underground or in space, whatever, yeah. Anyways, P.T. Barnum is this other character that was around this kind of time <laughs> period, and he mm-hmm. bought a lot of these, you know, structures, and he like was a real piece of work, in my opinion. Did, have you ever come across yeah. P.T. Barnum in your research?
0: Oh yeah, we did. Um, when I, I do these ones with uh, talks with Emily and uh, Michael from Suska and Alchemy, and we did one on circuses one day. We we did we have these we just pick a topic, oh. and it was circuses where can we find and, um, that just by the way really quick yeah so we in in the course of this into all sorts of things relating to circuses as you go into yeah the, we, we you know we talked about uh, barnum and bailey and these two guys and and the sort of which originally it started more as a freak show right it started as mm-hmm. more of like a, uh, a, a um, not like a circus as we know it so you're human as you start looking at yeah as you start looking at at the how the circus has developed over time one of the main f- weird features of the of the circus is the clown now the clown is is such a bizarre element because it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense uh except there was a, a a guy there's a guy conspiracy R us he has a channel on youtube uh-huh. and he did some videos a while back talking about what he what the what's called the nephilim they sort of potentially the original controllers of this realm and that they the the depictions of them far back in the past or the discussion of them seem to make them sound like they looked like clowns or that they looked very much like the kachina dolls of, of the hopi and so he started presenting are these things be they the kachina dolls of the hopi or the, the what we know of as a clown a remnant of information that was being placed in by probably humans to try to remember what these original controllers looked like so you could you could tell them apart cuz so many kids are afraid when they see a clown as soon as a clown comes but they get scared and i think that there's something in our genetic makeup that tells us we're seeing something that uh doesn't belong on this in this realm doesn't belong on planet earth and it's instantaneously terrifying to us and we actually have to be conditioned out of it to try to pretend like the clown is okay so all of that is we talked about all this weird stuff when it came to the circus so yeah uh but that again like you say it's coming out of this period this period mm-hmm. 1850 to like yeah. 1900 is like the the the, the foundation point of Everything in our modern world. There's almost nothing that where we are now you can't track back to actually having it really start somewhere in that period. And you say, "Well, you know, it has its origin a bit further beyond that." Yeah, but in the in the form we know it of it's today. You could say, "1868." That's when it started. So it's this time frame is so strange because it literally shaped everything of the last 150 years.
1: Do you think that? I mean, obviously there was there was things going on before that right like the life itself didn't just necessarily pop up and spring at this time period but i think there's an alchemical play here there's obviously some sort of control play here there's some sort of narrative shift or paradigm shift here what do you think um uh was happening with the energy from these from these buildings do you think it potentially was that they uh, uh, knew about how to how to harness all of the the energy they knew how about how these physics work these electromagnetic static you know energy uh, electron creators or whatever these resonance buildings that could contort the human body, make you feel good or if you can control that ener- that technology, you can make them feel bad or vice versa you can make them feel however you want do you think there was there was that was uh to kind of like make sure this turning that we will not be able to access this type of information or this type of technology
0: yeah my my feeling on that is that all of these ancient what we're calling an ancient structure and you can even say the the buildings we're talking about the 1800s are really ancient structures that's what they are sure um They were designed, or they first had to start being designed when this, we'll call it an outside force, got into this realm and began attempting to control it. That there was a period of time when it was just humans and animals and trees and plants, and we kind of got along here on some level. Then this force... The Gnostics would call them Archons, various other Native Indians would call them different, have different names for them, the Witiko or all sorts of things showed up. And I think these buildings were partially designed to create various types of energy that would block this, we'll call it this, this other force, this, uh, which seemed to be centered in Babylon, Sumeria, originally, to block this from us. Somewhere in the, eight, and we went through, uh, we went through seemingly different Uh, types of buildings so first was pyramids and then it went to temples and then it went to cathedrals and then it went to more like the domes and the towers and then we went and we saw star forts throw up in there which are a number of different kinds And i think as certain elements changed and as the abilities of people to to build or not build changed the the structures themselves changed but i think they, they were all designed on some level to uh keep not only uh, one level of protecting those that are inside the structures or or the structures sort of work as a network as a protection, but also as a balancing harmonious type of, of energy somewhere in the 1800s based on all the stories of the that we have existing and again. I don't trust anything in my history, but I, I, I take history as hinting at things. So it's hinting in the 1800s at comets, at earthquakes, at huge upheavals. We've got city fires all over the world, where it like every city burns down. We've got we've got weird things where it seems like the population is is decimated. We've got wars that can't be really explained, and all of that is happening at one period of time, and then it just seems to end these world fairs and other things start and off we go and I'm beginning to think there was a period of time when one way or another whether it's designed by some forces that were um, you know you'd say killing off the human population whether it was part of a cyclic thing where the sun sends off plasma bursts every certain number of years or the earth does something and it and it just it just you know goes through an earthquake uh, volcanic period whatever but it seems like whatever the main human population was and the human population that was using these buildings pretty much got decimated, destroyed. Um, you know, for all we know, the, the native Indians that we think of hunting on the hunting Buffalo on the, on the plains, they were the ones who lived in these buildings long enough until the destruction was so bad that they had to get the hell out and survive in, in the middle of nowhere to, to keep going. Um,
1: That's an interesting So I get
0: it. Yeah, I yeah, I see this complete wipeout destruction and um there's like this repopulation like you say all of a sudden the, the the everything is being repopulated who they're being repopulated with and and who's doing that because like you say at this period of time we've also got the orphan trains the orphan trains are bizarre like 500,000 orphans being shipped from the east of the United States to the central United States well Where are these orphans coming from? What happened to their parents? Uh, There's no real explanation as to how all these orphans are just there and shipped somewhere. And at the same time, we've got all these insane asylums being built. Massive. I mean, you're talking like that could have five, 10,000 people in them. And they're they're bigger and more opulent and more beautiful than the Medici palaces of Florence. So first, why do you need so many insane asylums? Why do you need them to look so beautiful and ornate, which they're probably just taking over old palaces? And again, you're probably Mm -hmm. dealing with, if you're repopulating, anyone who doesn't want to follow the new structure, it's best to just get rid of them for a while, eliminate them, hope, see if they will see if they'll come around eventually to the new way of thinking. So I don't doubt that all of these things are fitting in that we are seeing the literal destruction of whatever the last world was somewhere. And I don't I mean, it could have been the 1700s, you just, you just change history a little bit. And instead of it taking four or, four or five years, it takes 100 years, whatever. And as, as it comes out, what we know of as the 1850s, 1860s, 1870s is this brand new reality being put to the world and whoever remembers the old one is is put away put aside killed destroyed um it's it's i know it's something i wish i could have could go back and ask my medicine men that i know uh, if they have any knowledge of, of what we're talking about right here but in one of the sweat lodges i was in once the the, the who i consider the, the leader of this sweat lodge to be an incredibly an incredible man with fantastic healing powers. But he told me, whatever we do in the sweat lodges today would be nothing compared to 500 or 1000 years ago, we're like, he he considered himself like just a child compared to the medicine men of his long term lineage of what they knew. So much has been lost. So much is just gone that whatever they have is just a tiny little piece that has survived, even though that's great and incredible. It just gives a glimpse of what it must have, whoever what it must have been like a thousand years ago when they had all of that knowledge complete and usable. It's uh, it's pretty amazing stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, speaking also of this time, there was a lot of wars going on in Europe, and uh, and slavery was kind of being abolished in 1865 in America, and so there's all these different other connections um, that I kind of see of. With the orphan trains, I think that maybe they were taking uh, uh, kids out of uh, the European countries uh, whose parents have died from the war and bringing them to America to be indoctrinated. uh, Because you have a lot of Irish coming in um, and stuff like that. Uh, And then I wanted to get back to the clown thing a little bit, too, because I heard uh, in some documentary videos called Hidden Colors that the clown was actually... very racist thing and it was based on the the hobo of uh the black slaves when they were uh coming out of slavery they had nowhere to go because they had no belongings or possessions and they were basically making fun of uh black people and uh
1: oh the hobo clown concept kind of thing
2: yeah Mm -hmm. and that's why they had the afro hair uh, the big red lips and the big oh and stuff man, like that's that. fucking super cruel. super racial uh but that goes into the other ideas of the human zoos and how they're putting down these other people yeah. to make them seem like they're uh better than everybody else um so so when you so i've heard the nephilim thing before and these tall white you know clown people but i've also heard that other version of the clown too so I don't know which one makes more sense. I mean, uh, obviously, tall white guys with red They're hair. They're probably
0: both right. They're probably yeah. pieces of both have been placed together into the um, yeah.
2: Yeah, it seems kind of homogenized in a way. Mm, um, Hermunculized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And and the fairs, the fairs as well. I mean, they they one of the biggest exhibits for drawing people in in the later fairs of of, of like the eighteen nineties and early nineteen uh, hundreds was something called the old plantation which was uh, you could get a chance, as they as they would say in the papers, to go see some old Southern darkies, enjoy the. Basically, they were old Southern darkies sing and dance, I think is how they mm. sing and dance to their wonderful Negro songs or something like that. And basically, it was an exhibit trying to show that the the Black people really enjoyed slavery, that being, being a slave on the plantation was great fun. Fuck this God. was a huge exhibit, and it was marketed heavily in all the newspapers as kind of like I, I have, again, in my book, the exact things that were in the newspapers to, to present to, and and these were drew thousands of people a day to come to this exhibit. So I don't doubt that on one sense, the clown thing would, would fit into it, that you would, you would yeah, you would piece together different parts to build your, to build your symbol on the second side of the first part, you talked about the wars. We have a problem with that. And the problem with the, Particularly, the major wars of the 1800s in Europe are the Napoleonic Wars. Mm -hmm. And one of the issues we have with the Napoleonic Wars is we don't have any bodies. So, for example, at at Waterloo, which is supposed to have 50,000 casualties on on all sides, people have been scouring the battlefield for a long time, right? And sometimes they maybe find a button or they find – but as far as I've known, no one has found one body yet. Uh, now, there's been a couple of bodies that have claimed to have been uh, dug up and have 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 these weird. But everything about the the body and the presentation and where it is is always so weird. But even still, fifty thousand, y- y- there there should be everywhere. They should be all over the place. And if they're if they're wearing like you know military uh, metal clothing, all you have to have is a metal detector, and you'll bump into them somewhere. The standard explanation for that is, oh, they they just they put them in mass graves. They they didn't they didn't do individual graves at mass. Still, after two hundred years, you should find them. So again, it doesn't matter what you look into for history. It's like there's always a problem. If you go, if you honestly start trying to prove it, you run into this. Oh my God, I mean that too. I mean that too might be a lie, and. Dan, this is like the, one of the hardest things I've had to come across, is when I wrote my Egypt book, okay, I got comfortable that all of archaeology is a lie. I got comfortable. I, I managed to, yeah, okay, they, they've been lying to us for hundreds of years. But I still believed in some point of our history. I still believe that at least the last two or 300 years are probably true. Having finished the the exposition book and all of the talks and things that have gone into that, and now... I just don't believe any of our history <laughs> at all. You know, okay. Can I? I think okay. it's all a giant misdirection game that's been played with us. And it's yeah, it's very discerning because as a historian, I have to ask myself, hey, when I was twenty years old and they were talking about this stuff in my school and university, why didn't I ask deeper questions? Why did I believe it? Why did I just automatically take it in? And why didn't I start really pushing the professors at the time of like, can you? prove it like like prove what you just said because now i'm seeing you can't
1: yeah can i can i read um uh uh, a blog post from your website that i found kind of interesting and kind of lines up to what we're saying it's it's the less history that you wrote it's almost exactly one year ago too i really like it and maybe the
2: one you posted yeah i was gonna do that last oh That that was my last question
1: Oh, it's your last question. I see how it is yeah. stealing all my questions, Dan. No, I'm just kidding. So really, uh,
2: I have only asked a couple.
1: I'm just kidding, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but no, I do. I I find it uh, kind of like intriguing that that you just brought that up, and it's yeah. Let, we'll we'll save that for the last because it yeah. is. I feel like I wanted good, to but- uh,
2: jump into the hospitals mm-hmm. though and the mental institutions uh, because the Knights Templar were known as the Knights. Hospitalers and uh in no like in Europe
0: no no yeah? no 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 the Knights Templar were always the Knights Templar the Knights Hospitalier are, are a group no we're, were originally the uh, Knights of Saint John two completely different groups they're now oh. the Knights of Malta okay so there are and there there's a there was a third major one known as the Teutonic Knights uh group of knights from uh Germany so yes there were there are two completely different orders and in a matter of fact again I think we're looking at dark and light. Same as you were looking at at Babylon and mm -hmm, Egypt mm -hmm. or the hospitaliers and the Knights Templar are are literally opposites.
2: Uh, Okay. Uh, So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if that changes my question, but uh, with the mental institutions and and it being, uh, you know, for good before, and then now all of a sudden they're using it to put insane people into... (laughs) to manipulate them or, or control them in some way. Do you think that has any type of a, uh, was there a flip there too with uh, these mental asylums Uh seemingly that they were a place uh, for good and then they became a place for bad?
0: Well, they were obviously palaces. If you go look at these in any, in any I mean, there, there's no difference from anything you would think of as like a Royal palace. So it was obviously some sort of palace, some sort of, you know, they they weren't hospitals originally and so for some reason they needed to have a lot of space available to put mental patients in in the late 1800s and for some reason they felt well these things are just sitting around maybe doing nothing so this is what we're going to use um that would be my take on it now granted there's an energetic there's an energetic component to to something like these buildings to these uh, structures so maybe Um, They were putting the the mental patients in the people they're calling mental patients. And again, Mm -hmm. what's mental patient from what? Um, Maybe they're hoping that the use, the use of the energy one way or another would have an impact. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're genuine, let's pretend you're genuine and you really want to help a mental patient because to me, I think a lot of the people, this is again, my opinion, but a lot of the people who are, we call crazy walking on the street, are religious really people who had an experience of one of these alternate realities that we talked about earlier. They they shifted realities very very quickly, experienced something completely different. Uh, you know they saw twenty elephants on the street, and of course everyone's telling them there are no elephants, and what you know what are you talking about? And they didn't have the capacity to understand their experience when they came mm-hmm. back. There was no one there to help them. There was no one there to, to to share what happened, and so literally their mind fragmented and and broke. Their mind couldn't handle. Mm -hmm. That they didn't know what was going on. So to me, I think there's a a, a large number of what we classify as mental patients that if you could go in and hear their experiences, honestly, if they could start to trust you, and know that you weren't going to belittle them and, and laugh at them and whatever. Some of them you'd be able to tell, do you understand that actually what's happened is not bad. You've experienced a completely different reality. This is the thing shamans have done their whole life. Yeah. Um, begin to explain what shifting realities is, what happens and what you can do with it, why it's actually positive, why it is dangerous at the same time. But and yeah. I think a number of these people could be, could be healed very, very quickly with the right presentation and, and it's particularly the right energetic structure. I think you could maybe 20% of the ones that we are classifying as, you know, there's, there's, there's some that are just, they're, they're gone. They're out there, but some have, I think it's because they've had an experience that no one's been able to help them explain. And so they've all, they've come to believe they must be insane as opposed to you. You've just had, you've done the same thing, you know, a shaman does. And um, now we can, we can try to help you at least understand your experience and move on. So so it's so hard to say, Dan. Is is are they? <clears throat> is there, in some level, something that's trying to be helping people? Maybe, but it's the time frame. It's a weird yeah, time frame yeah. that. No, I get that all of the stuff is going on. Makes me feel that probably the the result of it is not good. And how many people were holding on to memories of the past that just disappeared?
1: Mm-hmm. And and then they they would put them, you know. So you have this experience. You go to somebody because you don't know who to talk to. You know, you want to go to somebody who could potentially help you. And what they do is they they shock you or they they control your electric uh the your electric body. Shock
2: therapy, yeah. You
1: know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's like there's something to understanding right. the attunement of the human electrical body and the electricity for lack of a better term, electricity of the universe right. and of the cosmos and of our planet. And you know, that uh, that kind of like mm-hmm. tuning in that you were talking about earlier, these different mm-hmm. radio frequencies. And sure. I think there's this connection too. maybe you can help me with this, this kind of like
0: mm-hmm.
1: thought piece that I'm working on is called antiquated transhumanism. Transhumanism is this thought uh, or this, you know, it's connecting the the human body to the collective cloud through robotics right but antiquated mm-hmm. transhumanism could have been using these different types of uh resonant architecture with things like mm. crowns and scepters to attune their electrical body into a different frequency tone by using gold and these things what, what what's your take on that
0: 100 agree with that i mean that's a lot of what that's really what tool as you might call shamanic tools or ancient tools are for they're 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 part of yeah they're 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 creating the right energy frequency so that as your body tunes to the frequency that the the tools are helping you get to you not just shift reality you shift to the reality you want to go to it's one thing to you know shift a reality but there's a thousand realities there's a, maybe a particular one that you want to get to for a particular reason how do you do that how do you how do you yeah how do you create the right energy um the right energy structure to get to a and not b and i think yeah that's uh, some of some of these ancient um devices you might say are actual almost like we would we would think of as a radio a way to have the radio go exactly to am 1100 every time you use them so i i would fully agree with it with, on. with that uh, that concept yeah that that's part of what they're doing and um um certainly when you look at i mean the Egyptian, even the egyptian statues themselves they're still they're still energized like they are still healing structures today i mean i have lots of stories of people who've been healed by by being around the mm-hmm. the Egyptian, by being around the the Egyptian statues Absolutely. and doing things with them that I've suggested they do with them, I've had people healed here in Norway, going to various stone circles that 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 exist in the country, um, and not really doing much, just going to them. Uh, one one gentleman, he he was he was quite old. He was eighty, I guess, when I first met him, and he came on one of my first tours to them, and he had a bad back and and this one specific circle that's that he was with a a very small group of us so there's some i I don't show bigger groups i only show a few people that i know and this one is very clean very clear still and, and his back was healed and he lived very close by and he said that started telling me later that every two or three weeks this would hold for a couple of weeks and then his back would start to get sore again he would go back to this one stone circle just stand there for 20 or 30 minutes until he felt his back was fine and then he'd be fine again for two or three weeks and this became like a constant um part of his life that he would just keep he didn't have to do anything else right just go to the stone circle be in that energy and his back would be fine for a while so as we as you learn more and more experientially uh about this stuff i'm still like a baby i still consider myself a baby in understanding the energetic knowledge within the structures and the and what the ancient world was doing but even the little bit i've managed to get um I see has had quite an impact on a lot of people and myself over the years of allowing yourself to be in these structures in the right way and letting the energy come to you, allowing, allowing yourself to be still and open and, and, and making a friend almost of the, of the location. So the energy is, treats you like a friend and, is, and shares with you. Um, yeah, it, it really does. It can open a ton of doors if you allow it.
1: I, yeah, I think that's one of my biggest goals in this lifetime is to really tap into that and f- and figure out what the fuck uh, it is. I mean, I it, it's fascinated me since so the second I learned about it. It's fascinated me and enthralled me, and it kind of leads me into this question I I had in the very beginning of our chat here. Um, is there so many people have been awakened by Egypt? They will be going through their life. They will be having experiences doing their doing their thing. And then next mm. thing you know, they discover ancient Egypt. They hear about it. They see this thing. Something that gets them fucking Guilty. snapped, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's something that gets them snapped and alive and awakened. Yeah. And this might be able to touch into, like, the concept of simulation and the sense of, like, reincarnation. You know, if, you know, we uh, had lived in that past life if we had that energy and we were attached to egypt maybe at one point and that's and everybody was attached to egypt and that's why there's so many people that like when they get into it it enthralls them it's exciting it's enticing there is something connecting everybody to egypt um what what's your take on that like what is your take on because we haven't touched on Egypt, but you wrote an entire book on Egyptian uh, wisdom revealed. Mm-hmm. And so do you mm-hmm. think that is potentially like the, the fucking focal point, the centrifugal focal point?
0: Um, At least of what we have left, I think, of structures on the planet. That doesn't mean there might have been others long before that that don't exist anymore and that there was something else here prior. But at least I can only speak from my own experience. There's no other structures I've ever been to that have the same energy component as certain ones of Egypt. Now I'm talking about the most ancient sites, be they Giza or Dashur or Abu Sir or parts of Saqqara. Those locations, the energy is off the charts, and it doesn't matter whether they've been to Avery or Teotihuacan or Palenque or the, the Pantheon or all sorts of great energy places. They they just don't match these these sites. And it took me quite a long time to realize I kept calling them uh, Egyptian. So I kept calling them, you know, you have new kingdom Egyptian, which is a lot of the uh, tomb building and, and late temples. And you got middle kingdom where you're talking about Karnak and Luxor and uh, Abydos. And then you've got parts of Abydos. And then you've got what's well, those old kingdom. So, okay, we're dealing with the Sphinx and the pyramids and those kind of, what I didn't realize is that there's a, for for uh, i hinted at it but i didn't it took me a while to really there's a fourth period and that uh, all of those really old ancient structures are from this period that aren't even egyptian that what we know of as old kingdom egypt and for as wise and as knowledgeable as they were they were literally just the group that came after and were doing their best to figure out what whoever this was that had built the stuff originally was doing and they were attempting to utilize it and copy it as best they could and once it was show, it was actually a russian researcher that revealed all this to me about six or six or seven years ago and now now it's easy now i can go to sakara for example and i can see a certain pyramid structure built and i can see the original lower two casings of blocks that are maybe 10,000 years old. It's obvious. You can see by the style, the cut, the way they've been placed. It is perfect. It is beyond per- And then there's the rest of the building on top of it, which is like you and me doing the building. Well, not you and me, but, you know, <laughs> some knowledgeable, but still not. Yeah. And I realized that's the old kingdom Egyptians. The old kingdom Egyptians are trying to mimic what was here before. This has been destroyed and they're trying to rebuild it the best they can, but it's still not the same as the whoever was here before so to me when i'm at a place like ancient egypt when i'm on when i'm at abu sir dashur i feel like i'm actually touch. what's so exciting is i feel like i'm touching a universe or a reality before there was conflict almost before there was this dual nature of of conflict and and control and And mind and I'm literally at a place when it's before the mind even existed. I'm touching, I'm literally able to touch another universe. And that's what makes these places so exciting to me is because I realize it's the last, like you say, it's the last focal point we have left of maybe the world before the whole thing we've known since that time so to me that's why these uh teotihuacan a little bit of mexico has that feel to it um, as well in places because that's also a very strange site um but no no matter what even though i've had great energy at other sites those ones are are beyond so i'm just saying we're getting close to a couple hours and i'm it's late for me in norway so i'm getting a bit i can feel my energy is dropping Mm. so If you guys have a couple of sort of key ending questions, we can I'll take those. Yeah. Um, So I know Dan had one, but yeah,
2: please. uh, Yeah, this isn't my last one, but uh, this was a good segue into my next question. And do you see any similarities between the pyramids in Egypt and the cathedrals uh, from from America and? Uh, what types of similarities are you seeing or differences are because a lot of people talk about how the pyramid shape is completely different from the cathedral shape, but yet everybody talks about how they're both resonating energy. So is there a difference in the types of energy or, or whatnot, or, uh, are they producing the same results basically?
0: No, really different. The pyramids complete. They, 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 they produce something absolutely differently as as you guys know from reading the fulma kelly book you will see more of like a connection between luxor temple and chartres for example so the cathedral is more more linked to layouts like karnak and luxor from the Mm -hmm. standpoint so late the sort of middle kingdom temples so if you if you begin to understand the egyptian temple building procedure you'll be able to understand the cathedrals they're operating in a very similar and they're even they're even laid out there's a very you can walk through luxor temple and walk through it like a cathedral and you could have mm-hmm. you would know where the main altar would be uh-huh. and you know where the nave would be and you know where. Yeah. so the pyramids though are yeah they the, the experiences and things that have happened are, are on a completely different Level, like I say, it's like they're from another universe, is the best way I can put it. Yeah, wow. Simplify
2: it. and then, uh, my follow up to that was uh coral castle by uh Lee Edwards Galen. Mm-hmm. He, he was said to have built that in a matter of a year, I think, or two years, and all, did it all by himself. Do you think there's any? And he said he knew the secrets of the pyramids. Do you think there's any maybe secret technology that, that he was aware of that came from Egypt that they were also aware of that they were able to build? maybe these buildings in that short amount of time
0: well he knew something what exactly he knew or didn't know it's hard to say right. um what's really interesting to me about Leeds Scalen is uh his book i don't know if you've ever read the book but he he, no, he, he put he a few books but his first his first book that came out is like literally the weirdest book you could ever read it like huh. makes absolutely no sense is it all until chemical? you start to realize
2: yeah is it coded maybe yeah it's,
0: it's an all chemical it's all chemical code and once i once i caught right away that the whole book is a code then you start to reread it and you start to realize He's laying out all sorts of details about the nature of reality. Actually, even the front cover of it—where he's standing, what, what's positioned behind him, where the sun is coming—everything, every little detail about the book, is like uh, a secret clue to to understanding energy mm. and reality. So, Lee uh he knew a ton. Not many have even broken what he's known yet. But if you're listening and, and that Coral Castle interests you, the book is free on the internet on that site that, that Coral Castle is. Go download it. Try to oh, understand yeah. it. It will be – a, it, it's a mystery you'd probably enjoy digging into. Excellent.
1: Wow. Yeah, Coral Cor, Cor Castle is crazy. Uh, super cool, and it's an anomaly on its own. I, so, like I said, I flew into Orlando, and we have massive amounts of – Dan, you brought up um, theme parks earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have Disney World, which is – so Disneyland itself was built on the 33rd parallel in L.A., and I watched mm. – I did some digging into, like, the building of Disneyland, and it was built – it's built very specifically. They knew it was built on a ley line, and what they did is through the entrances, through the gate entrance – um, They they, it follows the ley line and then it goes through this carousel and the carousel is supposed to spin, and it spins and shoots out the energy. So that's why you feel this magical energy when you go to Disneyland. Well, here in Disney World, Mm. it's even bigger. It's like triple the size, and the whole Disney uh, aspect as well. You know, like you have um, at the Airbnb. This is like an actual like. A Disney themed room right you have The alchemical you know the magic Hat he's a sorcerer and then They're living within the castles which Are all spires and they're Doing alchemical practices and They're doing magical work Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna go into Disney world with a completely different viewpoint than everybody else, probably that I'm with. And I'm going to be looking for the fucking secrets and I'll keep you guys posted <laughs> on what I find, obviously. Um, but, uh, but howdy, you, um, you got any other, uh, I know Dan's probably going to finish off with your, with your blog post, but I just wanted to ask you because your areas of research are like kind of cool man like they're different they're different you know it's like you wrote egypt and then you did the expos and then you have the book about your experience and there's this nature of reality concept in there and everything I- i'm wondering what's your next piece man what what's the magnum opus going on here is it you know is it focused on northern uh mythos like you're in norway what's going on brother
0: really simple i'm i'm working on trying to write a... I shouldn't say trying because i got to watch my language. I am working on a novel um, to describe exiting Plato's Cape. And uh, novel writing is not my specialty and so it's a huge learning curve to start learning how to write a novel. So that's, that's what I'm doing currently.
1: Well, that's a magnum opus if I ever heard one, I think.
0: That by the time I get finished, there will still be a... There will still be books will still be allowed to be sold and <laughs> you can still talk about it on the internet and i mean literally i'm not sure i'm actually not sure that if in four to six months something like this like what we're doing right now will happen but, but that that this will be this will not be happening
1: okay just okay what i lied one final question just before we go just because you're awesome uh what is your just just in a quick and most simple way you can put it what is your idea of cosmology and uh, uh, just at least our surface layer cosmology and our galaxy solar system.
0: Simplest answer: it's all an, okay. it's all an illusion.
1: There we go. That's all I needed to know.
0: <laughs> so there my... is there is something true uh, because there is something true, but it's nothing that you see or experience with your senses. Mm. I'll leave it mm. at that. Cool.
2: So my final question is uh, on uh, yep. on the show Hot Ones on YouTube. He often does this thing with a guest called Explain the Gram. So I'm going to read this. Uh, This is something that you posted on the website. It says, by now, there's enough out there from everyone researching these subjects that history, as is told to us, is a lie. The narrative on any level is a complete and total lie. So why does one need to study any more of it? When you know it is all a lie, just to verify another lie, that sounds like a giant waste of time. And we have no more time. Humans on this planet, the ones who will stand firm in their humanness, have very little time. What time there is needs to be used in the most wise fashion. Every moment, a moment for deeper inquiry on the self, who we are, what death is, what God is, or anything else that has meaning. Continued examination now of the nightmare, while perhaps interesting and a way to pass the time. 20 years ago, this was fine. No longer. And since I cannot make a suggestion to others and do something else for I would be a hypocrite, more and more I have turned my focus on my actions to match what I am presenting, which is meant to match the inner realizations and experiences. Can you explain that a little further?
0: Well... So I wrote that about a year ago. So I, yeah, like you say, so I've, I've come to a little bit different understanding now. Um, and I can share that with you. For sure. Uh, a gentleman named Bart Marshall, actually, from some some um, talks we've done together, some conversations that have gone into my YouTube channel have helped with that. And that is, we have crossed, I, I was writing that when I was realizing we're crossing into a, a new We'll call it a new reality. That's the best way of describing it. Our reality is becoming different now. Whether it's going to be good or bad, we don't know at this point. But it's the old one is gone. And what's important to recognize is that means all the old ways of doing things are are no longer relevant. So I'll give you a really good example. There was a lot of books that I used to read in like the in nineteen nineties and on whether it be self help or spiritual practice or all of those things were fine then they're not anymore and where we're going they're literally not relevant the problem is we don't as yet have the we don't know yet what is going to be relevant because we're not really sure what the reality is going to going to happen so we are actually at the cusp of building potentially the next thousand years of that which is going to be used the things that will be used now for self-inquiry and understanding and finding truth and whatever that Literally, the the things from the past aren't bad. They were useful in their time, but we're going to be in a different time. We need something totally different. So the point I was making there is whatever you're doing, whatever you're working with, you have to get, once you get to a certain point with it, where it's, it's paid off and it's had value to you, you have to sort of turn and look ahead and say, where this reality is going, do I need to keep doing that? Or is, is, the, is what reality is becoming, is it calling on me to operate in a very different way? And I think that's, that's what's going on now is um, the person who spent a lot of time sitting and meditating and being quiet and having a peaceful mind, that's not going to work anymore. That might have been fine 20, 30 years ago, but it's not going to work now. We're going to be in such chaos and challenge, certainly for a while. It's, it's going to get bad. Like we ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get bad. Oh, you're going to. Yeah. And it's, it's so, so we, we require certain. Uh, exercises, practices, understandings work that will fit the situation. And, um, and yeah, we are in a sense building that as a, as a giant community together, you know, like uh, all of these conversations that I've been having in the last like six months with people like yourselves. um is building to something really different than the conversations I had a year ago. The conversations a year ago were just about information. That's all. Mm -hmm. The conversations now are like, it's a feeling like there's something being built. Mm -hmm. Everybody is putting little pieces of things into a giant jigsaw puzzle. And we are building potentially what we need to do to handle where we're going. And so that's the best answer I could give now for you, Dan, is that it's, it was I was feeling it, but I couldn't put it really well into words. Maybe I'm putting it better into words now.
2: Good. Excellent. Yes. That's beautiful, man. Um, Also, uh, you know, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and everything. Um, Is is there anywhere people can go find you or any websites that they can go check out that you would like them uh, to go see?
0: Yeah, you're welcome to uh, come, I guess, for now, while you, I'm still on YouTube, you can go there, Howdy McCoskey Talks, and I guess there's a couple hundred videos there now, if you go there, just look for a subject that's interesting to you, because there's like so many different subjects that I touch on, uh, just go find something that's interesting to you, and re- listen to a few of those, and start from there, um, if you're interested in my books, which is always appreciative, um, you know, I don't do, I only I, I, the only money I earn from All the work that I do comes from book sales and from and from donations so um, if you like this material buying a book is always appreciated and you can always go over to Amazon with my name and just um, at least see the three books that are available doesn't mean you have to buy from that books book seller of course there's lots of other really good ones that uh, cover the books all over the world so you're more than welcome to buy it from wherever you might be interested in to me buying a book now is even more important uh-huh. and not just my books i mean any book a book that you think is valuable begin because we don't know in a year 5 years 10 years if anything that might be classified as digital is going to exist or even if what does exist dig- digitally has been manipulated a lot mm. of books that have been, a lot of books have been taken out of libraries older books placed on the internet and those books for the people who still have the original don't match the books have been changed when they've been put on the internet. So once it becomes digital, it becomes ch- potentially changeable at any time. So one of the things about having a hard copy of a book you think is important is that in 20 years, the book might still be here. And so you yeah. can go in and see if the book is interesting uh, there. I still have the website, like you guys were talking about, with the really bad name, egyptian-wisdom-revealed.com. And those are good places to start and and uh there's lots of other interviews out there if this stuff interests you too to hear that and uh yeah by all means that's a good place to go and hear more of the man who rambles and <laughs> sometimes talks too much when he's on and
1: yeah we love oh, it man.
0: thanks for yeah, having
2: we love it that's why we have you and it's not just a show about us
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no this has been this has been great man this is um it t- you touch on a lot of things. I hope I hope people are um, are able to take away some really good stuff from this. And uh, you know, I don't know what it's like in Norway. I've always wanted to be there, but you know, I'm I'm I hope to live vicariously through your experiences because uh, the fjords fjords have been calling me, brother.
0: Well, you've got the, you were in Denver, Colorado. It's fairly similar, just with seawater. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs>
2: All right, well, uh, thank you, Thanks. Fire Tribe, for joining us. We appreciate you. Uh, and if you're not down with that, wake, wake up. up. Yeah. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the outro Ooh. of Howdy Mikowski How's Minkowski? it going? I'm Daniel Naki Dan. Here, down. That's the homie. I'm, I'm homie. What did you learn today, homie?
1: That uh, Mercury retrograde is real, uh, whether or not it's a simulation, there's a cosmic code. OK, here's what I'm getting at with the, with the simulation stuff, because, you know, I said it in the show that, like, I think I used to think it was a cop out. Right. And I, I still kind of do like it, it could be kind of cop outy um you know like if we just it's like aliens what's who built the pyramids aliens and why is life crazy simulation you know i think when you just throw it out there it can be it can be an easy answer but there is things are simulated things work in cyclical nature but anyways uh i've been having a crazy fucking couple days and when i talked with my astrologer she told me she's like you're traveling on these like the new moon solar eclipse and then we're following into Mercury retrograde and like she pulled up my specific chart to the current happenings and she was just like, You need to be careful because if you don't do things right, like the your travel will get fucked up. And I was just like, nah I'm good. And then it was just like I had to go through TSA uh like they took you know, took my bags, opened all my bags made you know tap me down spread me up and shit and so yeah man it's for free (laughs) for free and then they made me pay for my own hotel so i was like what uh but no it was great um it was great i learned a lot man i um i like his blend of looking at this you know construed forgotten and suppressed history with also like the spiritual aspect of it i I like that blend it's a good blend
2: Yeah. yeah man I mean, uh, a lot of this world stuff fares we've, uh, we've talked about before. Uh, there's some bit. good new stuff in there though, that I liked, um, you know, uh, talking about the energy and the resonance and all these things and the connection to Egypt. I've been finding more and more, there's this definite connection to Egypt in the Americas. And so I wanted to try to bring that out more. We, we, we didn't get that to that part really in, till towards the end but it's uh, very fascinating to me like this i this lead edward scalen and coral castle the fact that you're in florida right now i don't know how far away that you may well, be from coral castle I, but if it's you in
1: have miami i'm in orlando and there <laughs> the opportunity is is so juan lives in orlando mm-hmm. but he's having a baby this week oh shit and so he's down in miami and we want to meet up We want to link up, but, you know, Miami is like five hours away, so I don't have a car. I'd have to, like, borrow the family rental. Mm -hmm. We might be able to go down there, but, you know, we are going to go, which is really cool still, in my opinion, is St. Augustine. Oh, excellent. That's that's only two hours away, but um, I I did text Juan while we were having the chat. I was like, hey, you fucking asshole, if you haven't fucking looked at Coral Castle yet, (laughs) do it. Uh, And so... Because I asked him, I was like, dude, what's like the esoterica of like Orlando? Like, is there any structures or anything? He's like, no, there's nothing here in Florida. And I like, I was like, there's no way there's nothing there in Florida. I mean, it's like the fucking penis of the country. It's got to be fucking infected with like stuff. Yeah. It's got to have a bunch of random suppressed history herpes. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's right next to Bemini Road. It's uh it's all in the yeah. Gulf of Mexico. I mean, it's uh not far from like the Yucatan Peninsula area. Yeah. I mean, there's probably all kinds of weird magical stuff going on there. Hence Disney, Walt, World. Disney World.
1: Like why is it here in Orlando? Like that's kind of what I want to find out is why did Orlando get chosen for cuz it's not only just Disney World, right? They have, you know, Universal Studios, mm-hmm. which I think there's a connection between those two, obviously, because,
2: universal you know, universal and, and Catholic yeah. church is universal church and universal studio. Interesting. The studio is a, 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 universal, a church yeah. kind of thing. Oh, it's the all right. It's the play, their projection outward toward people to, for influence. And predictive programming through
1: yeah. these movies, Jurassic yeah. Park and all that yeah. stuff. Back to the Future. Oh, something cool I, d- I did recently find out is um that mainstream science uh recently in the past few years has basically said that time travel is real. Like we can, within our lifetimes, experience time travel, not as humans. They don't think that they can, they will send humans through. They think that's too dangerous, but they said time travel, we can send matter through. We can send you know, books, we can send things through, but we can only send them to the past. We can't send anything to the future. Oh, weird. so that's that's confirmed by mainstream science. Everybody go and do your digging. And I, look I just it watched it
2: this movie called The Tomorrow War about a month ago or something, and they were oh. sending people into the future uh, to fight a war. So that way there would be a future. Uh, they're taking people from the past and uh, sending them into the future. It's a very weird movie. It's very good, though. I actually really enjoyed it, but it's a kind of a cool concept of time travel and everything to f- fight these aliens that invaded in our future. Uh, they had to get people from the past to fight them because in the tomorrow land. N- Nobody exists. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> y- you
1: know what's crazy, too, about the, the cathedrals and um, the pyramids? And uh, it's not just cathedrals by the way everybody you know like talking about residence architecture it's the most like common one that we bring up but like i think these cat you know capital buildings and these insane asylums and all these things that they um when used right could possibly be portals like and i think that there's you know i think there's a way to turn on these machines in order to yeah, obviously like, you know, mental portals and like a consciousness portal to elevate your consciousness. But I think also physically, like I think time travel, like the reason why it's so fascinating to us um, is because it's happened before and we, yeah. we're, we're possibly a project of it or an experience of it. And like the fragmented, you know, reality, we can like see through the cracks and be like, oh, like this has happened before, like deja vus, you know. I mean, it's like, okay, are we dehydrated? Are you demineralized? Like, why are you tired? Like, why are you having a deja vu? Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're just in a good place. Sometimes you're in a great place. You've fucking been drinking water. You're eating. You're healthy. You're fine. And you have a deja vu. You know, it's like a fracture of of the consciousness and the reality. And it's like, is that time travel? Like, did you just get zapped back into your body? Who fucking knows?
2: Yeah, like... remembering past lives or past occurrences which is weird because well how could you have deja vu in in the current time but also be remembering a past life you know what i mean it's almost like you're replaying your life over again and that's these are different parts that you're remembering like so.
1: like re-inhabiting these these buildings right like we're not building them we're just
2: yeah re-going into them or whatever yeah it's weird it's fascinating deja oh. vu is a trippy thing we should uh talk about that sometime yeah there's just got to be some good
1: books on there we should find uh find some artists
2: yeah i i, I think, think the uh the human resonance thing that he was talking about on how these uh mages or magicians or shamans would use like the crown and the scepter yeah. and whatnot inside of these already you know uh resonant structures Mm-hmm. That they were able to tap into that different frequency that frequency thing that when he was explaining that that kind of seems more of like the dimensional thing that I'm kind of having problems with uh understanding and accepting is like you know that frequency band that we're on is our reality, and we go outside of that frequency band when we're tuned to a different frequency, we see these different levels of existence beyond what we're uh What we're already resonating at. So uh, I thought his story of him, how he was like going, like becoming transparent and seeing through walls and having this different understanding is fucking unbelievable and fascinating at the same time. And it makes you wonder, like, uh, you know, how is it possible to just become so transparent that you exist and don't exist at the same time? And then from there, is that where you can start to travel through time and, and space and go to different dimensions and I don't I don't know, man. I think that's uh something very interesting that we should maybe talk to other people about too and, and those occurrences. I mean, we have talked about near-death experiences, fascinating that it happened to them in water, because what is water? Water is like the current of electricity, right?
1: Whoa! Uh, whoa! Whoa! Hold up! Yeah, man. Sorry, my mic's over here now. So he was having a near-death de- experience in water, and then he was also getting downloads at that time yeah. because water carries information. And, you know?
2: and Navier Alora, when we talked to her, right, that was her thing too. Is uh, she almost drowned when she was like four years old, and so she, and she got those downloads too. So there's this whole water idea, something about the water putting all these memories or this electrosis process that's happening that you're just getting downloads from is pretty interesting. A lot of the times that we see in these sci-fi movies, you know, people are being hibernated in these uh, water tubes or whatever, or uh, what's that, what's that other word that they cryogenically frozen. So you're being frozen in the water And so that water is having some type of Electrosis process on your body or whatnot I don't know It's all fascinating stuff that I don't really know a whole lot about So I can't really uh, Explain it well But um, It's all fascinating stuff to me Yeah Oh you got a tuning fork huh Hey you got a tuning fork eh I uh So
1: Meeting up my family, um you know, I haven't seen them since uh, for a while and obviously since Christmas and everything, and they got me a new mic. Um here you see. Mm-hmm. Got a new mic. And then they got me a set of tuning forks.
2: Excellent.
1: I I, I later like this, I'm just now opening them up, like now. <laughs> so I'm just now playing it. So I just wanted to share with you guys here. Let me get another one here.
2: Excellent. Uh while you're doing that, I just wanna tell everybody to go check out the Patreon. Uh, it's, you know, $3 a month Go check it out, good stuff on there Also, uh, because of Romans traveling We're unable to do the Tribal Council Bonfire this month So in replacement of the Tribal Council Bonfire We have a couple Patreon episodes That we're going to put together uh, That each of us did with Slick Dissident uh, Gabriel And uh, they're about Americas and the territories And uh, some interesting stuff in both of those conversations that we each had with him we're going to combine it and put it out as one episode for the um, for the Tribal Council Bonfire episode so it won't be a group show but it'll be uh, some shows that we did on the Patreon and give you a chance to check out some of the stuff that we're doing on the Patreon so maybe you will want to come over and check out the other stuff and then uh just gonna sit here in some silence and retune. The, the door doesn't help.